0: I just said it's just great to be here with you all and thank you, Eric, for so nicely introducing me. Um, it's a it's a privilege, it's a pleasure to be here with you all at Green Tree. Green Tree has been supporting us in Hungary for 17 years. Um, I'm just a local kid, just grew up in the St. Louis area. And um, if you're wondering where I went to high school, (laughs) went to Bayless High School down in South County. So uh, the Lord um, had a plan for my life. My uh, father escaped from the country of Hungary in 1956, when the Hungarians revolted against the Russians. I was born 10 years later, 1966, here in St. Louis. So. the wall came down in 1989. That's when I became a Christian, 1989, with Campus Crusade. And then 10 years later is when I moved back to Hungary. Uh, I went to the country that my dad escaped from. And so I'm, I've been a missionary there for 16 years. And now the Lord has blessed us, my wife and I. She's Hungarian with uh, two children, if we can see a picture of them. So my family sends their greetings to you all. They can't be with me. I'm missing them. I fly back on Wednesday. It's been good to be here, but I can't wait to get back to them. So. Uh, uh, we gave our children two very American names, Hoini and Chenga. <laughs> so miss them so it is missions Sunday, and they 've asked me to speak on missions i don 't know if i 've ever spoke on missions. Um, I don't know if I've ever taught on missions before, but that's what I'm supposed to do. I do missions. Um, I can't even remember the last time I preached in America, if I've ever preached in America, besides like an hour ago when I did this here an hour ago. Um, (laughs) But besides that, I don't know. So I I, I did a lot of teaching in Budapest. And then after 14 years, the Lord said, we've got something different for you. And so we've been planning a church. And um, our first day was the first day you guys moved into here. So it's neat to see that connection. Um, well, you can't talk about missions without talking about worship. The two go hand in hand. They are literally inseparable, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. And that's exactly what we see in Psalm 96. I'm going to be preaching from Psalm 96 this morning. And as we look at Psalm 96, as we get ready to read that together, it's very obvious that this psalm is about worshiping God. It just jumps right off the page. But if you look a little bit closer you're going to see that it's also about telling the peoples of the world about the greatness and the goodness about God. Worship and missions, they go together. So let's take a look at it, and let's read the word of God together. Psalm 96, upward and outward, worship and missions. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord... well, families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory, do His name, bring an offering, and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness, tremble before Him, all the earth. Say among the nations, The Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad, and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth, and he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. So we see throughout this psalm, if you look at the first three, the first three verses, it's all about worshiping God and declaring his greatness. Worship, declare. Proclaim his greatness. Worship God and tell all the nations about his glory. That's what the Psalm's about. And then in verse 4 and 5, just like one little bitty verse there, we see the one thing that can ruin God's plan for his people. One thing that can ruin God's plan for his people just to worship him and enjoy him and to tell all the nations of his glory. What's the one thing that we see in verse 4 and 5? It's idolatry. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared among, above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. And that's my three points. God calls us to worship him and enjoy him. There's an upward movement in our lives. Idolatry ruins everything. It's an inward move. We need to look at our hearts. What's going on there? And the Bible tells us, not just right in this one verse, but all throughout Scripture, major theme that runs all throughout the Bible, idolatry is the one thing that will destroy your relationship with God. It corrupts us. It ruins an entire society. So first is God calls us to worship and enjoy Him upward. Inward, look at our hearts. What's going on in our hearts? The idolatry of our hearts. And the third is missions flows naturally from worship. Flows naturally as we worship God, the most natural thing to do is to tell others of his greatness and his goodness. So before we begin, let's pray. Let's turn to the Lord and ask him to speak to us. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you uh, for the richness of this psalm. I thank you for your calling in our lives to come and to worship you, to bow down. Um, Lord, you see our hearts, you see all the things that we bring to the Sunday morning worship service, all the trials, all the difficulties, all the things that burden us. Um, and Lord, we'd like to just lay them at your feet this morning and ask that you'd minister to us, that you'd speak to us. And Father, I have to believe as we, as we sang that you know us by name. And to, to you, each one of us is important you love us dearly, you know us, and you see all that's inside of us. And so, Lord, I do pray that everyone would, who, come, who came this morning, they would get what they came for, that so they could meet with you. And Father, I pray that you would use me as the, your vessel for that. I pray uh, that you would have me speak in such a way that is understandable for everyone here. I pray that you would not allow me to be a hindrance to that. I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit, And help me to say all that you want me to say. Nothing more and nothing less. I ask that you allow us to meet with you and to worship you this morning. In the splendor of majesty, in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. Amen. So, as we saw, uh, verses 7, 8, 9, these these verses are calling us to worship God. And So you might want to ask the question, is it a command? to worship God, does he command us to worship him? And I think we could say, yeah, it is a command, but when we look at it as a command, we kind of forget the purpose of what this is really all about. God is the one who is initiating a relationship with us. He is the one who is inviting us to come and to worship him. It's like he's saying, come on, this is what life is really all about. You were created to worship, come to the feast. Come and find true satisfaction in life he 's saying in me, there is real joy, real meaning. come, this is what you're created to do in Hungary when we every once in a while we have evenings of worship, and we use a very simple acronym that maybe some of you know acts adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. supplication' a tricky word for saying asking God for what you want and um, and so When we pray, it's very easy to ask him for what you want, but sometimes, and in Hungary, um, when we start the prayer time, adoration, okay, let's just worship God for who he is, that's kind of silent sometimes. Why is that? Because even though we were created to worship, it doesn't come naturally. It feels kind of odd. And I believe the worship of God is something that the Lord calls us to, to practice. He calls us to learn it because that's what life is really all about. So, How can we practice worshiping? What is worshiping? And there's five areas I'm going to touch on very briefly that we could spend the rest of our lives doing and learning and practicing, and we're just scratching the surfaces of what it means to really worship God. So let's start with the first one. We can worship God for his character. We worship God for his character. And there's two aspects to God's character. He is the God who is almighty, right? He is the creator God. He's spoke in the stars, the universe came into being. He's the almighty creator, but he's also our heavenly father who knows us by name and loves us and is close to us. The Bible says he is transcendent and imminent. I love those two words, right? He is near and he is far. He is the one who is in control of the universe. He's in control of this small little bitty planet that's like a speck of dust compared to the universe. And all things are going according to his plan. He's the scriptwriter for his story. He rules all the nations, and everything's going according to his plan. And then he says, Come and spend some time with me. You can talk with me, and I talk to you, and I know your name, and I am with you always, and I love you dearly, and I care for you. He's a God who is personal, who knows all of us by name. That is amazing, isn't it? He's a God of justice. He's a God of holiness. He's a God who is righteous. He punishes sin. He's a God of vengeance and a God of wrath. (laughs) But he's also a God of tender mercies. He's a God of patience. He's a God of love. He's a God who's to be feared, and he's a God to be loved at the same time. So we see the, the dualness of his character, Almighty Creator and Heavenly Father who loves us. Second is we can also worship God through his creation. We can worship God through his creation where we get glimpses of his beauty and of his majesty. And I love to go through, uh, go jogging through Forest Park. It's just a beautiful place to be, just love it. I also love to just to be around mountains and beaches, right? When you you see a mountain or you see a beach, you see the beauty of nature, it's just natural. You just wanna worship God. Wow, this is so amazing, he must be so beautiful. Um, or when you see the stars, or when you see a monarch butterfly, you see, wow, look at the vibrant colors and the design of that butterfly. That, That just didn't happen by accident. There's just no way. It's so beautiful. When I was flying over here, I was sitting in the airport and uh, they were advertising one of those LED televisions, you know, and they're trying to show how the awesome quality of this LED TV, and it is really awesome quality, and it was showing like in a time elapsed way how a flower blooms and blossoms. And I'm looking at the flower. I'm looking at this red rose, how amazing the redness of the rose is and how it blossoms. And I could care less about this LED TV. I'm like, this is amazing. Look at this flower. I'm not sure how many people saw the flower, they were looking at the TV, but it was amazing to worship God in the airport. Um, I'm back in my father's home, the home that I grew up in, looking out my bedroom window, preparing for the sermon, and up jumps a cardinal on the bush right in front of my window. I'm like, wow, look at that cardinal. That's amazing. Look at all these squirrels jumping around my dad's yard. This is great. And These massive oaks. I mean, we don't have massive oak trees in Hungary. We don't have squirrels. And we don't have cardinals. So it is so good to see this wow, God is wonderful. So we can worship God because of who he is. We can worship God in creation. But most importantly, we can worship God because of redemption. He has sent his son, he has revealed himself through the scriptures. We know what God is like because we look at Jesus Christ. But what if God never sent his son? What if God didn't reveal himself? That means he never spoke, that there's only silence. And we can't know what he is. We can't see him. There's only darkness. And so that's how many people view this world. That's how the Buddhists see this world. There's only darkness and there's only silence. God didn't speak. We don't know what God's like. So all of us are all blind and we're all deaf. And we kind of, kind of go through the world like this. But that's not the world we live in. Right? God has revealed himself. He has shown us who he is through the person of Jesus Christ who came as a servant. He was found in the form of a man. He humbled himself unto death upon death upon a cross. And he took upon ourselves the curse that we deserved. To think of God, we have to see his mercy to really understand the heart of who God is. Jesus Christ came and he took the punishment that I deserved. He took the wrath that I deserved, He took God's anger upon himself and he did the great exchange. You know, Jesus gets our sin. He gets our punishment. He gets God's anger. And what's left for us? The love of God in Jesus Christ. We see our heavenly father in Jesus Christ. We see the love of the father. God has forgiven me for my sins. He's declared me to be righteous. Cursings are upon Jesus, and all that's left for us is blessings, and the blessings are going to come. God is faithful to give his blessings. He tells us that heaven is waiting for us. Eternal life, paradise is only just right around the corner. He promises us salvation, and I'm reminded of that as I looked out my bedroom window at my father's house one more time. When I was in high school, a long time ago, um... I was a freshman in high school, and there's a gal across the street who had a party. You know, she's a popular pom-pom girl, right? And uh, she had a party, and I was a freshman. And uh, what do freshmen do at a party? Well, they get drunk. And I got really drunk. And uh, I, I remember that evening, as I look out my window, it's like, gosh, I remember that. How embarrassing. That's just horrible. You know, that laid the foundation for the next four years. I partied all throughout high school. And I, I kept on partying until I went to a fraternity house at the University of Missouri, and that's when I really partied. And the Lord saved me out of that mess, out of that meaningless that He just reached into my life and said, That's it, Rob. I've got a plan for your life. You've been going in this direction for so long, but you know what? I'm gonna send you to Hungary. You know that country where your father escaped from? I'm going to send you back there as a missionary. And I'm reminded of his faithfulness. Wow, God's got a plan for my life. He's redeemed me. He saved us from God's wrath. We can worship him for his redemption. Fourthly, we can worship God and give him thanks for all the blessings that he has bestowed upon us daily. I mean, as you're sitting here, so many things we could be thankful for. You have a whole sermon, a whole series of sermons on Thanksgiving, right? I mean, do you have a family that surrounds you with love? Do you have someone that makes you laugh? maybe Like a Randy Mayfield at Central. Um, do you have someone you can cry with? I mean, do you have good friends? I mean, there's, there's 18 million singles in Germany. There's a lot of lonely people in this world, a lot of lonely people. And God gives us friends. He gives us family do you have your health? Can you still exercise? Oh my gosh, there's a lot of people who can't exercise anymore. Do you have food to eat? I'm away from my family, my wife's cooking. My dad's a bachelor. We're just, I'm eating avocados all the time. I love it. But I'm, <laughs> uh, do you have a place you can call home, pillow for your head, a job, a career, a car, a good church to go to? These are huge blessings. Yes, you do have a good church. This is a good church. God has blessed you with a good church. And, um, and for me to stand here before you and to see these pictures and to see the faithfulness of Green Tree in their giving and the support that you have given me for 17 years now, that is amazing. To be the recipient of sacrificial giving on the part of Green Tree you guys were moving chairs in an auditorium for years and years and years, getting up early and doing that, and we're doing it now. Um, and you guys did that because you wanted to give sacrificially to missions. Thank you. Thank you. God has used Green Tree. In our we couldn't do what we are doing if it wasn't for Green Tree. This is not that big of a church, but you give. You, know, you don't talk about money details of money and hungry money is a taboo topic, but I'm just gonna tell it straight up. Green Tree supports me, $750 a month. That's a lot of money. And I am very thankful for that. The Lord has blessed us for 17 years through Green Tree and a handful of churches in the St. Louis area. We got a small little team, so thank you. So we can worship God for who he is, right? We can worship God for creation, we can worship God for redemption, we can worship him for his blessings, but we can also worship him for our trials, right? James says that, count it all joy when you encounter trials of all kinds. The most difficult things in life, when taken as if they come to us from the hand of God who loves us, will shape us and form us to make us the people that we are, right? I mean, as you sit here, you know the person that you are, the character that you have, is because God has refined you in the fire of suffering. I know it's true of my life. All the difficulties that I've been through, it's hard to give praise when you're in the midst of it. But afterwards, as you look back and you go, man, the Lord used that in my life sovereignly and he has shaped me and formed me to make me the person I am. I wouldn't change anything. Friedrich Nietzsche, who was not a Christian, he said, whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger. I don't know how we ever said that because this is only true of people who can give thanks to God. Because if you don't, suffering turns you into a bitter person, a hard person. You turn away from God. But as we know the truth that all things work out for our good, it softens our hearts and fills us with thanksgiving. So the goal of our singing on Sunday morning, the goal of this sermon as well, is to bring our emotions our mind, our will into the state of worshiping God. That's what this is all about. This is what we're doing here this morning. The worship of our God as creator and redeemer, the one who blesses us, the one who disciplines us. As we worship God, it lays a massive foundation for our entire life, that we can build our entire life upon it and it's not easily shaken. Worship changes us at our most basic level, as we know that God is almighty creator and yet he also knows me by name. Wow, and to him, I am important. His opinion of me matters more than anybody else's opinion. To him, we are all unique. All of us are like snowflakes. Unique, created, designed, given a talent, given a gift, He knows our thoughts and emotions. And he says that we are his friends. He calls us friends. We can go through life knowing that we're never alone. Wow, build your whole life upon that. Build your whole life upon the one who flung the stars into space is with me right now. That is why David says, you are my glory. You are my glory. You're a shield about me. You're the lifter of my head. God is the one who comes to us and comforts us and he strengthens us. That's our God. You know, you know you're worshiping God when you're so caught up in his greatness and his goodness, you you kind of forget about yourself. Kind of forget about yourself. Well, maybe you don't forget all about your worries and your problems and your fears or the opinions of others, but you bring them you bring him into the presence of God. And in the light of who God is, these things begin to look really, really small because God is so great and he is so awesome. And he's really taking care of me. He's really watching over me. He really does love me. I know there's some churches that that begin their worship services and they say, welcome to reality. Because there's another reality that's going on. You know, We go through life and there's difficulties And sometimes that's all we see, but there's another reality that's even more real than that, that God is there, and he loves us, and he cares for us. He's the one, in the midst of trials, he gives us supernatural joy and strength, and that's what it means to worship him. I mean, isn't that what we all really long for? Is that what we really all long for—to be to free to be free of ourselves, to kind of to forget about yourself, you know, to forget about my selfishness and my pride and my fears and my worries, to forget about myself and just be caught up in the goodness of God? And that, that's what it means to worship Him. He's so mighty. It's like who I don't I don't want to think about myself. Worshiping God means knowing Him as. Knowing him is the greatest treasure in the world. That's what it means to worship him. He's the greatest, he matters. He's the heaviest, he matters the most. His opinion of me matters the most. Well, that's what it feels like to worship God. The worship of God is not only massive enough For us to build our individual lives upon it is also massive enough to build an entire civilization and an entire culture upon God. And that is exactly what happened to America. God chose to bless this country like no other country in the history of the world. I don't know the exact statistic, but you can find it in Tim Keller's Center Church Church book. And he says that in 1914, there's approximately one church in America for every 500 people. One church for every 500 people. That is an amazing statistic, and i to be talking about that in, towards the end. But America became a land that trusted in God. It's on our money. I've never seen on any other money in the world. It's not on the Hungarian money anywhere in Europe, that's for sure. Um, but a culture of people grew up living their lives in the presence of God, and everyone kind of knew that it's wrong to steal, to cheat, and to lie. It's just a part of the cultures, part of the way we think. And Francis Fukuyama, in his wonderful book, Trust, um, talks about wherever Christianity spread, those cultures were blessed because they had a thing called social capital, which simply means that people were able to trust each other. Where Christianity spread, people were able to trust. Which means I believe the best about you until proven otherwise. You are innocent until proven guilty. And because of that, America was able to pull together. It is so refreshing to come to America and to talk with people and see how we interact with one another. Um, It's not that way in other countries, there is such a low level of trust. In Hungary and all throughout Europe. It's the exact opposite. You're guilty until proven innocent. People think the worst about you until they see otherwise. Margaret Thatcher uh, has a statement I really liked. She said If my opponents saw me walking on the Thames River, they'd probably say, See, she can't swim. <laughs> that is true. That's just true. I, I experience it all the time in Hungary. If I go right, oh, why did he do that? If I go left, look at that. Look what he's doing. Always, always just a sense of a, a negativity. Always a, a criticism. Wayne Grudem in his book, The Poverty of Nations, quotes a Chinese intellectual, the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. And this is what the Chinese had to say about the greatness of America. Where does it come from? This is what they say. We were asked to look into what accounted for the preeminence of the West all over the world. At first, we thought it was because you had more powerful guns than we had. And then we thought it was because you had the best political system. Next, we focus on your economic system. But in the past 20 years, we have realized that the heart of your culture, the United States, is your religion, Christianity. And that is why the West has been so powerful. The Christian moral foundation of social and cultural life was what made possible the emergence of capitalism and then the successful transition to democratic politics. We don't have any doubt about this. The greatness of America is found in Christianity. We have capitalism and democracy. Wow, these are amazing things, but they mean nothing. Capitalism and democracy flourished only because it was planted in the soil of Christianity. You take Christianity away, they're trying to spread, export democracy and capitalism all over the world. Is it working? No. Did it work in Hungary? Almost. There's corruption everywhere. Capitalism and democracy don't save a country. It is only Christianity that lays the foundation for true growth. Christianity flourished in America and it's flourishing in America to such a degree that we produced what Tim Keller calls a gospel ecosystem. Not only do we have wonderful churches and massive denominations in this country, God has chosen to bless us with so many different types of ministries, not just churches and denominations. And we we saw a lot of those earlier, didn't we? We have huge ministries that reach out to college students all around the United States. RUF and Campus Crusade and Lord used Campus Crusade to save me out of my fraternity house. I'm forever in debt to Campus Crusade. Crew, right? They didn't even call it Campus Crusade, Crew. Um, InterVarsity, Navigators, High School Ministries, FCA, Young Life, Student Venture, K-Life, CannaCook. Many wonderful Christian schools and colleges and seminaries. I mean, just in St. Louis, we have Covenant Seminary where I went, Columbia Seminary, or Concordia Seminary, but there's wonderful seminaries all around this country, wonderful uh, colleges, not even to mention all of the Ivy League schools used to be Christian schools, or wonderful Christian counseling centers that support the family, homeless shelters, soup kitchens, hospitals, I mean, this is what God has done for America. He's laid the foundation of a gospel ecosystem, and he's blessed this country greater than any other country in the world. We don't have this gospel ecosystem in Hungary. We do, but it's on a very minuscule level. The foundation is thick, but as we all know, as we turn on the news just for five minutes, you hear the foundation cracking, right? The foundation that God laid for America is cracking and that crack is getting bigger and bigger every day and it's cracking really fast. And I've cut out a page and a half of what I want to say about that. This just not enough time. A friend of mine in Hungary, who's also a missionary from America, he came back to, uh, to the States and he started his sermon by saying, I've come from the future. (laughs) America is heading down the same road that Europe took. We're heading there and we're getting there really fast. And it's really scary. Europe is secular. Europe is post-Christian. The churches have been marginalized. What that means, Christianity is irrelevant. God is irrelevant. If you go into a church in Hungary, Not sure if you're gonna understand too much about what's going on in that worship service. The language is archaic, the music comes from the Reformation. Um, You ask a person about God, you believe in God? They're like, well, I don't really think about God. Most people don't go to church. It's secular. They live their life as if God doesn't exist. It's just not important. It just doesn't matter. And that is why the psalmist tells us in verse five, in that one verse, he says, do not worship false gods or idols. It's just a one-line warning that says, beware of this because it will destroy everything. It will corrupt everything. And that's my second point. My second point is when people stop worshiping the true God, they start worshiping idols or false gods. We were created To worship and we do it all the time. It is built into our DNA. At our most fundamental nature, we are worshipers. So what is idol worship? What's the Bible talking about? Not just in Psalm 96, but all throughout the Bible. Idol worship is simply when you're worshiping anything else, right? Besides God, the creator and Jesus Christ, the son, the redeemer of this world. So what does true worship look like? Well, you're gonna go, you have to go to a football game to see that in the fourth quarter when somebody scores a touchdown and the, cr- the fans go crazy and they go wild. That is true worship, right? Like, man, that guy is worshiping. Or when somebody hits a home run in the ninth inning in the playoffs. Go crazy, folks! That is worship, right? That is true worship. I mean, we're doing the best we can here, but we're competing with some big, hit- big hitters. On a more practical everyday level, what is idolatry? It's simply when someone or something becomes overly important to you. You begin thinking, I've gotta have it. It's essential, right? Um, It becomes more important than anything else in your life. You begin to think, I can't live without it. You're you're beginning to desire it. It's an over-desire. I think of, you 2 song, Desire, right? Desire, gotta have it. Can't live without it. This is, this is what gives me meaning and happiness in life. And you begin trusting in it for meaning and happiness. You start believing all the advertisements. Yeah, gotta have it. Gotta have it. An idol could be a job. It uh, could be a career that you really want, right? Could be a relationship relationships are always so important to us got to have that relationship your health, your home money family the list goes on it 's anything that could be a, originally a good thing that God has given you a blessing, but you begin to take your eyes off of God and you begin to think that if I can only get that, that will give me meaning in life that will give me happiness that 's what I need I asked um, this past summer i was in france we were doing some work there with randy mayfield from central and had a chance to meet some wonderful french people i asked uh, a french guy who was a, an engineer what's the meaning of life for him and he thought about it for a second for him it was kind of a weird question because these are the big questions nobody asks the big questions of life anymore the meaning of life the meaning of life no? consumerism consumerism I, what do you mean by that consumerism well, you you buy the next toy, you, the Apple Seven. You get the next thing that comes out. You know, th- he thought that's the meaning of life. For him, the meaning of life is getting the next cool thing. You know, got to get it, got to have it. That's what life's all about. I mean, for the French, their idol is not work. They work. Mandatory work week is thirty-five hours a week. It's a good life. French know how to live. Um, so, what are the biggest places of? Worship, not in France, but what are the biggest places of worship in life? I mean, what really gives meaning to life and happiness for lots of people in America? I mean, the biggest places of worship are not the church steeples, right? The biggest places of worship are what? Stadiums, right? Shopping malls and skyscrapers. I mean, business and money and sports and consumerism. That's where America worships. These are massive, huge places. And people look to these things for happiness and meaning. In the meantime, they're killing us. They're cracking the foundation. So we have to ask ourselves, how do I know if my heart is really worshiping God? I mean, the Bible tells us our hearts are deceitful. Who can know it? It's hard to know yourself. And God says, check your heart. What are you really worshiping? And the way you can tell if you're worshiping God or if you're worshiping a, a false God is that when you don't get what you want, like a career, let's say you don't get what you want, a career, or you do get what you don't want, a bad relationship, you know, you either get what you don't want or you don't get what you want, Oh, you go ballistic, you can't handle that just like a baby who doesn't get what he wants to scream, we act the same way. Something becomes so important to us, and until I get it, you do everything you can to get it. That's revealing our heart. That's showing that something has become so important to me. It's more important than God and his love for me. Um, I'm not sure if y'all like British humor, but... um, British humor is a two edged sword. Sometimes you like it and sometimes it's kind of, kind of weird. It's definitely different, right? And um, a British article I wrote was talking about Americans and what Americans do when they get into a conflict. And this is kind of how they talk about America around the world. When an American gets into a conflict and doesn't get what he wants or gets what he doesn't want, what happens? He goes and gets a gun and kills the other person. That's how we handle conflicts. Now this is, this is humor, but sometimes it cuts too close to home. Or maybe you go to a psychologist and ask for some antidepressants. Or maybe you go talk to your lawyer and sue the person or maybe get a divorce. And as wonderful as America is, this is how the media talks about America all over the world. These people are constantly running the psychologist for antidepressants or suing people or killing people and that's sad and of course it is an over exaggeration but it hits really close to home because we're living in some really troubled times as if our culture is falling apart one person at a time and i believe it all goes back to idolatry of worshiping the wrong thing you know it's interesting that our problems come when we don't get what we want we pout. But what if we we get what we don't want, then we pout. But you know what? We go ballistic even when we get what we want. You know, Mick Jagger told us this a long time ago. We should have known this, you know? He said, I don't get no satisfaction. And I tried, and I tried, and I tried, but I ain't got no satisfaction. I mean, why didn't we listen to him? You know, people still think, if I just get it, I'll get some satisfaction. I mean, wouldn't it be a great worship song to remind us of that truth? I can't get no satisfaction. I mean, there's only satisfaction in Jesus Christ. Amen. When are we going to believe it? Thank you for the amen. <laughs> God is calling us to himself. Worship me. Feast on the gospel. True happiness, meaning in life only comes through a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Worshiping him and finding our joy and our strength in him and helping others to do the same. That's what it's all about, isn't it? And that leads to my third point. God wants us to tell the nations and to invite them to come and worship him. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Missions is nothing more than creating worship centers and inviting people to come and worship with us. That's what Psalm 96 is all about. It's what the Israelites were called to do. They were called to worship God in the midst of the nations. Worship God, tell the nations, proclaim the nations, come worship with us. This God is worthy of worship. Missions is worship and worship must always be missional I love how Tim Keller puts it. The church's attitude should be that we are not building a church for ourselves where everybody lays out their own expectations, their own desires, and this is what I want, and I like this style of worship, and it's all about me. It's not about consumerism. It's not not just coming and getting what I want. We need to be worshiping in such a way that the reason why we're here is not for ourselves. We're not trying to make a club. We're here for the sake of those who aren't here yet. That's what it means to be missional. It's about designing the entire missional service, worship service, thinking about there are unbelievers here. And I hope this morning there are, those, there are people here who don't know Jesus Christ yet. A missional church means we're bringing our friends, bringing our neighbors, our colleagues, because you know what? They need to be worshiping God. And that's what we've been trying to do at our church plant in Budapest. I try to speak in such a way using the vernacular. Tim Keller says, if you speak in such a way that people can understand you, they'll be there. Why is that? Because the church members begin to think, my gosh, my neighbor should be here. They would understand this. He would understand, you know, this is good. I need to bring my boss. And the church fills up with with non-Christians. That's what it means to be missional on Sunday morning. Everything we do, from music to preaching, is so others can understand it. We have to be careful about the the words we use. You know, One year ago, when we finally started our church plant, we had our startup team. We had 20 people. And after nine months, we were ready to give birth to this baby. We weren't unified, because everybody was thinking, we should have this type of a worship, and we should do it this way. And I had to say, please, guys, trust me on this. It's not about us and what you want. It's about doing a church where others can come. And the Lord, one year ago, when you all moved in this building, we had our first worship service and God brought 60 people to that first worship service and everybody took their eyes off of themselves. Oh my gosh, there's so much work we gotta do. And everybody started doing things. Yeah, unity and and vision and purpose is all important, but it's, it's about mission. Mission's gotta be the overriding thing of that. Get our eyes off of ourself. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. And then he says in John 4, the Father is looking for true worshipers, people who will worship the Father. In other words, the true measure of a success of a church is not how many people are here, it's what? It's about how many people who were lost and have now become worshipers of Jesus Christ. And we're all on that spectrum somewhere together. And that's what we need to be focused on. How many people, boy, you hate to say a word like this in the culture that we live in, have been converted. Conversion, you know, in this politically correct era that we live in, just accept everyone. Christianity is radical. No, no. I accept you for who you are, but I want to convert you. Man, that's radical. That's the life that we're called to live. How many people have become converted through our missions, through our church plant here? And that's What we have in front of our eyes. Culture is filled with lost people. A great example of that, look at the movie Sunset Limited. Two of my favorite actors, Tommy Lee Jones and Samuel Jackson. Tommy Lee Jones is lost. He's a retired guy. He wants to commit suicide. He's going to run and throw himself under the subway train. He runs right into Samuel Jackson, big guy. And Samuel Jackson picks him up, takes him back to his apartment, And begins to share the gospel with them. It's a movie, a dialogue between two people. Sunset Limited, and Tommy Lee Jones just simply wants to be consistent to his worldview. Let me die. There is no meaning to my life. I have no joy in my life. He's being consistent, and Samuel Jackson tells him about Jesus Christ. Great movie, but it's almost like the secular world is saying, "Leave us alone." Leave us alone. And as Christians, we have got to go. We have got to be missional. In closing, what is the mission of our church? How can we slow the foundation from cracking in America? It's cracked in Europe. America's heading in that direction. What can we do? And I believe our focus has simply got to be to cry out to God To use us to change one person at a time from being a lost person to becoming a worshiper. And to change the culture one church at a time, to plant churches one church at a time, creating missions, centers, worship centers. So if America used to have one church for every 500 people, let's do the math together. St. Louis. Uh, metropolitan area, about 2.5 million people. So, if there's 2.5 million people in, in St. Louis, and we would like to have one church for every 500 people, like the way it used to be in World War I, how many churches do we need in St. Louis? About 5,000 churches. Need about 5,000 churches. If we'd want to have uh, 40% of the population in St. Louis in church on Sunday morning, we would need 5,000 churches of 200 people, 5,000 churches of 200 people. How are we doing? I don't know. I have no idea how many churches there are in St. Louis, but there's a lot of work to be done. How about in Budapest? Budapest reminds me of St. Louis. We're a city of 2 million people. The Danube River runs right on through the middle of it. It's a beautiful city, but we don't have a gospel eco, eco like you all have here. And like I said, most of the churches are marginalized, so stuck in tradition, or... It's, a, it's called a dead orthodoxy. They kind of say all the right things, but it's just irrelevant. And so people have reacted, rebelled against that dryness, and they moved into a wild, emotional, charismatic approach to doing church. And so how many churches are there, kind of like Green Tree, where there's kind of like an evangelical message, a reformed theology, kind of just doing missional work, uh, relevant to the culture? And Budapest, we don't have hundreds. We don't have thousands, we've got about a handful, maybe 10 or 20. There's a lot of work to do in Hungary. And uh, I just wanna close by saying thank you that you are supporting us in Budapest. I'm gonna show you some pictures of our, of our church plant. And um, I am so excited to be doing a church plant. I've been in Hungary for 16 years, teaching in a Bible school and doing film clubs and things. And the Lord called me into planning a church um, I've been preaching for a year, I'm a novice, I'm, I'm learning, I, I love learning how to do this, um, and I just would like to ask you to please pray for us as we've, as we, as we're just, it's just an upstart, we're meeting in a coffee shop, and um, this Lord surprised us with this, we had our first church camp this past summer, and 70 adults came out, I mean, we were really surprised, about 20 children, and um, so this is where we meet, um, let me just explain this, we're in southern Buddha. And you see those communist block apartments? It's just surrounded with all this. We're, we're right there in Buda, Budapest. And they put up a brand new subway. Uh, subway station uh, is tw- it's right outside of our front door of the coffee shop. In other words, people from all over Budapest can come to our church plant within 20 minutes now because of the subway. We're really excited about that. And there's a beautiful park. They just renovated the park. And on the you know, 100 feet from the subway station on the side of the park, this is our coffee shop. This is a building that the Evangelical Free Church bought. Um, this is what we look like. A little bit closer, people are just walking right by our church plant there. There's the outside terrace, next picture. And uh, we just I just stand at the door and greet people at 10 o'clock. Sometimes these guys just came in looking for a cup of coffee. It's like, well, the church, it's, it's closed right now, but I've got a coffee machine in back. If you want to get a cup of coffee, I'll walk you back there. We've got good Italian coffee. And um, and so they were asking about This is what we look like. People are just walking right by, and, and we're just worshiping the Lord. And... um. Next picture. You already know him. And uh, this is what we look like uh, during the worship service. The Lord has blessed us that we were doing about 80 to 90, every once in a 100 people on a Sunday morning. And this is Yoji and Agi. He preached last Sunday. He's one of the leaders in the church. I'd like to ask you to pray for them. If you just go back just a second. Um, they were waiting for their first child, and Agi lost her baby at 38 weeks. And it was a tragedy. Um, and so Agi is pregnant once again. She's in her 21st week. Please pray for them. The Lord would bless them with a child. Um, Yoji has been one of my most faithful leaders. And um, so the Lord has blessed us with some wonderful men. Um, who are, there's a guy pre- who preached this morning. I've got four guys. Um, just, so, just some wonderful ladies in our church. And I think that's about it. It's my daughter, Hani on the right-hand side there. And this is Adorian. We're gonna step out in faith. We're gonna take him on as a part-time pastor. I want him to lead worship and to work with the youth. And it's a big step of faith that the Lord would provide um, all that we need to be able to support him at part-time. So I just wanna close off by saying thank you for supporting us, being behind us. Um, The Lord has called us. We stepped out knowing that the Lord has churches in St. Louis who are there to, to partner with us and support us and be behind us. So let me close off in prayer and just say thank you. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much um, that you are worthy of worship. And um, thank you that you call us to worship you, that you call us to quiet our hearts before you and to acknowledge that you are most worthy and you're the one who gave your life on that bloody cross that you might redeem us and make us a people for yourself. Thank you that you have brought redemption into our lives. You saved us from ourselves, from our sin, and, um, and now you call us to live every day worshiping you in your presence, knowing that that's really what gives us meaning and purpose and joy in life. Thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for this church, Lord. Thank you how you have grown Green Tree up all these years. Thank you for the sacrificial giving of this church. And I pray, Lord, your greatest blessing upon Green Tree. May they grow and prosper for your glory. In Jesus' name, Lord, amen. Amen.